0: Hey Don. Hello Zach. This week you sent me a really interesting article from the New York Times and it sort of was asking the question have we made our kids addicted to screens? and here's the best paragraph I read. The day after New Year's John Reichert of Boulder Colorado had a heated argument with his 14 year old son James. I've failed you as a father he told the boy despairingly. During the long months of lockdowns and shuttered schools, Mr. Reichert, like many parents, overlooked the vastly increasing time that his son was spending on video games and social media. Now, James, who used to focus his free time on mountain biking and playing basketball, devotes nearly all of his leisure hours, about 40 hours a week, to Xbox and his phone. During their argument, he pleaded with his father not to restrict access, calling his phone his whole life. This was the tipping point. His whole life, said Mr. Reichert, a technical administrator in the local sheriff's office, I'm not losing my son to this. And Don, the article just goes on to talk about the last year and to talk about the last year of teens and screen time. And the article says, look, since May, screen time for most teens and young children has nearly doubled. What did you think about the article? What do you think about the times we're living in?
1: The article is my life for the last year. We had just gotten into a real good spot where our boys who are 11 and 13 were doing no screens Monday through Friday and we were busy with school and sports and activities and it went great and then on the weekend they got to do a bunch of screen time but we still had other things going on so it wasn't like they spent all day on it because we were going somewhere to do something and it worked and I felt so happy about it and then COVID hit and it was what are you going to do? And so we made a schedule, as many people did, and ultimately screen times increased a lot. We still have limits on it, but there's so much more. (laughs) I feel a little bit terrible about it, but it was very, in a way, soothing to read this article that other people are in the same situation.
0: Yeah, America is in the situation. And it's interesting because I think every day my wife and I wrestle with screen time and... It's weird because my children are still younger than yours, but they love Roblox, they have a Nintendo Switch, they like to watch the occasional show, although I find increasingly they choose to use their screen time more with video games of some kind. But every day it's like, okay, how much time do we let them? Do we give them their half hour in the morning, their half hour at night? But we notice too that our kids sort of wander around aimlessly not really getting engaged anything, hoping that maybe we'll give them a little extra time. And as you know, as a parent, any extra time you give them on the screen means a little more free time to yourself, right? The electronic babysitter, as we used to say. But yeah, we don't feel good about it. We still don't have any good answers about it. And I do wonder often, what are the long-term consequences from this? And then I can only imagine what are the long-term consequences from families that really have not put any sort of restrictions on screen time.
1: We have a situation in which we're not doing first person shooter games, but yet we are become video games come interaction. And that's what the article talks a lot about, is that it becomes the social interaction for your children. And so my kids are mostly playing Minecraft. They have their phone out and they're FaceTiming while they're playing with four or five different friends who go to different schools and some of them live close, some of them don't and they're just talking and playing. And that's their social life in that they're not really allowed to interact with other people. I mean, we have one other family that we're in a bubble with and we hang out with them a bit without masks, but the other kids, I mean, we can't just be interacting with so many children. And so it is a substitute. And they feel that when they are off because they're regulated to be off the screens, they'll come back and things have happened in their world or realm. And now they're behind because other kids are on all day long, building things and doing things. And in a sense, it's competitive. It's not like the shooter game competitive, but it's competitive in building and creating things. And they're behind because they don't have as much screen time as other people.
0: And that's a really interesting point. One thing that we've talked about, my wife and I, is that our kids' world is just kind of limited. As you were saying, we have maybe a couple of family friends in our bubble that we are very comfortable hanging out with them and their kids and vice versa. But we used to go places, right? We used to go visit zoos or museums or go to the movies or do things on the weekends or even after school. And with COVID, you just don't feel very comfortable going that many places. And all of a sudden you want your kids to have some sort of social experience And therefore, I could see where the screens offer that opportunity. And at the same time, one thing I've noticed is the level of engagement that these new video games have really brought to kids. Again, most of my kids don't really want to watch shows anymore. They want to go on Roblox or they want to play Animal Crossing on the Switch. And the one thing I was thinking about when I was a kid, I was like, well, how am I just maybe I'm just old and maybe... I just don't understand this world. Because when I was a kid, I watched a ton of TV. And I was thinking about how like, I just mindlessly would watch the same Saved by the Bell reruns or Simpson reruns over and over. Eventually, I would just get so bored, I would probably go pick up and do something else. But these games nowadays, as you were saying, with the social interaction piece, the fact that there's always a new level that's being released, they kind of go on forever. And I can see where they can really draw a kid in And they can also just offer escape from the reality of boredom, right? Every day is just kind of the same. At this point, everybody's just kind of stuck in their house or stuck going to the same one or two friends' houses. And even that kind of loses its engagement. Where you and I live, it's pretty cold outside. So it's not that great to go outside all the time. It just seems hard. And it just seems hard to kind of put your finger on
1: what's right or wrong. There's several points I want to hit here. One is that there's more hours. Before, we had school, and my kids were gone from 6.45 till 3ish, and then they had practice or activities, and then there was homework at home. It was a fairly busy school day, and on the weekend, we'd have activities, and we'd go in places, and we could fill the time as parents because there's pent-up things to do, and like you said, we could go somewhere, museums, places like that. But now, my kids go to school 8 to 2 with no homework, and there's no sports, And there's just way more hours. And on the weekends, we can't really go to a museum. And that just pents up, it creates more time. And we've used, gone to every park within 30 miles of our house because that's what we spent the spring doing. And now it's winter and cold. And so there's just more hours. Then you do hit a great point in that the worlds of these video games are unlimited. The amount that they can go and build and do and different phases. My sons play many different types of Minecraft. They go to realms, they do other things, they do cake wars. I'm not even sure what these things are, but there's limitless, limitless ways for them to do it and interact with their friends while doing so. Jack built this, now I gotta figure out, how, I wanna figure out how to build this. How can we do that? And the way they figured out is they watch YouTube videos. I don't see my kids watch TV, they don't watch shows. They turn on YouTube to see Laserbeam and how he's building something in Minecraft. And it's not so much just because they're parroting him. It's because they want to find out how to build something, how to do something. And this person's doing innovative things and I want to learn about it. Whereas you or I may have read a book or something like that. These kids are just watching the videos to learn about how to play the game better, which is kind of admirable. Can I say that's admirable and then feel good about myself as a parent that they're learning how to do something? I would
0: say so. And I think you bring up a good point of YouTube's one of the great teachers we have now in this world. They have an interest, right? They're pursuing their interest. They're doing their own sorts of learning and they're doing their own sorts of constructing. I mean, you could say, isn't that always what we want at school is for kids to have an authentic voice, to be able to communicate some sort of conclusion. Now, you and I, of course, maybe high-mindedly would love for them to come up with a a thesis of what does the Joe Biden uh, presidency mean? And instead they're building a new realm, right? And and in Minecraft and it's something though. And I do think that's something that like, maybe we're not taking enough time to say, well, maybe this is not all bad, but just to go back to what you were saying of your kids are on their screens from eight to two every day at school. And I think, isn't that part of the problem is that school is on a screen, socializing is on a screen entertainment is on a screen. And obviously you could see where easily all this stuff is doubled up. I could almost see though, where you're a parent and it's like, oh man, my kid just spent all day on that screen, staring at their teacher, staring at somebody, man, I would love for them to get off And at the same time, you could say that the remote screen time of learning is kind of boring, right? It's really passive. Kids just kind of sitting there, getting through it, staring. Whereas when they finally get off that time, that seems to be where your sons are really getting engaged, maybe actually having some meaningful screen time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's more interactive and they're building and actively involved in it. They are really excited. And when they get on, uh, I can hear it. They get on, they, and their friends say, yay, they're here. And then when we say it's dinner time, we have to turn off the screens, their friends go, oh, no, you have to go, call me back. Like They are in a community where they want to be involved, and people want them to be there. And isn't that what everybody wants? And it's, in a way, very fulfilling. I just wish they were building something physically with their hands or doing something outside. If they're building some sort of a fort, I would be overjoyed. But in this scenario, winter in Michigan in a pandemic, this is what they do. They are playing video games. And I'm in a sense, finally just settled with it. And I'm not sure I'm happy. I'm just saying, well, it is what it is. It's a pandemic. It's, uh, it's better than, I guess, sitting at home sullenly reading Deutschewski. I mean, what do, we, what do I expect from them? That's a great point.
0: One question I did have is, look, we would probably be proud fathers if our kids became successful computer programmers or software engineers or the founders of some Silicon Valley startup, right?
1: Especially if they're billionaires. They would be our heroes. They would be. And my point being, okay, well, how do
0: you become a programmer or a software engineer? I've, I've read interviews with some of these guys and they're all like, yeah, I became interested in this field after playing a lot of video games when I was a kid. And I wanted to know more about how they were made. And that's the access point, right? I've always thought maybe in our desire to like try to limit screen time, is it possible that we're also limiting our kids' imaginations? I do wonder The unintended consequences, long-term, do we have a whole generation of kids now that learn how to manipulate the screen? I mean, I do wonder if, could you say in the future, people aren't going to value the ability to build a pole barn as much as somebody who can build a virtual world, right? Build a virtual community. Is that where everything's going? It seems like right now the market pays top dollar for people that can manipulate the screen. Wouldn't we want our kids to start getting on the ground level of this?
1: Yeah. Or you could argue in 20 years that the pole barn's put up by a computer program and that there's an automatic machine that drills the holes, puts lays the concrete. I mean, as is, crops are harvested by GPS. All the farmers really do is drive the combine to the field and then the computer takes over. It's not that far to say like, all right, well, we're going to have a computerized barn building. You want barn X? Sure. The cost is this. The robots will be there. And they'll do their thing over the next three days and you'll have a barn. I mean, it, it can happen. I'd like to think, I think I'm looking very through very rose colored glasses. If I imagine that this is the way things are, I think really we need to be able to interact with other humans for the vast majority of the jobs that people have. However, human interactions now mostly through the screen and maybe it will continue to be so.
0: I agree. I think that I'm trying to be optimistic and hoping about, the long-term things, right? Oh, this is good. It's going to benefit them. It's They're going to want to do this in their futures and stuff like that. At the same time, have you noticed almost a immediate withdrawal anger that comes to your kids when you tell them to put down their device? Because my wife and I almost are ready for a, and our kids sort of stomping around when we have to take away the screen from them. And it usually goes away after a minute or so, but I've almost noticed that like there is an addiction level that comes to these things. And while we want to sit here and believe that maybe our kids are going to be, you know, start up the next billion dollar company, I do wonder if really what our kids are going to have is really bad attention spans and an addiction like level where they don't want to interact with the real world. I just think there's a really interesting paragraph that was also in this New York Times article, and it just said, The family dog died on New Year's Eve, and James said that playing games with his friends helped him to not think about the loss. This concerned his mother, Kathleen Reichert, who felt that her son was escaping the emotions of real life. What are you going to do when you're married and stressed? Tell your wife that you need to play Xbox, she said to her son during the interview?
1: Yeah, I thought that line was really interesting. I think that's taking a little too extreme. I know my kids, we have schedules more or less. We say, all right, it's time to wrap it up. We've agreed that 9 a.m. is the time where we're going to shut this down or 8 a.m. or whatever it is. And then they say, okay, okay, we're going to wrap it up. And then they wrap it up and they leave. And I'm the one that gets upset and says, no, no, I have dinner ready. I cook dinner, we got to eat dinner right now. And they they come fairly quickly. And then I kind of get exasperated. They don't come immediately because I work so hard on dinner well, yesterday I was finishing up some grading and there's time to walk the dog. We had all agreed we are gonna walk the dog. And they're like, come on, come on right now. And I was like, well, I just need to wrap up these grades. Like, oh, when you have to do something, then it's not drop everything and go. And I was like, oh, you are right. I understand you're building something too. You've, it's valuable to you as well. And so it's more about finishing and concluding at least in our kids' lives. And it is hard. But I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I'm willing to say that they're done interacting with humans, is that they'll hide in video games if they get an argument with their spouse or their kids.
0: And that's a really good story that you tell there about your hypocrisy, if you will. And the idea of just, we are old. And I feel like this article was written by somebody who's old. And all of us probably still don't understand the power that video games and social interaction and the screen have over our youth. I mean, I, feel, I still feel like you and I are speaking about this like a magic potion that a medieval person would have spoken about, right? We just, it's unclear, we see this, our kids are behaving in strange ways. And maybe there's just stuff that we just will never quite understand because we're just not that interested in this world. And therefore, I just keep always wondering, how do I separate myself from just the old guy that just doesn't understand that society is shifting to somebody that's also just saying, hey, everybody, moderation still probably matters here. I was just thinking like 200 years ago, people complained about those who read too many books, right? Nowadays, we would celebrate that kind of person that just reads books all the time. I just kind of keep wondering, like, where do you stand? Like, do we just sort of keep putting our head in the sand and saying, oh, I know there's a lot of screen time. I just hope it gets better. Or do you think communities, parents, schools should really be asking themselves, what have we done?
1: Uh, I think you make a solid point there about uh, history. We went to the Marvel exhibit at the Henry Ford uh, last spring, I think. And it's, there's a big part of that about talking about um, comic books and how comic books came out and it was going to be people decry the downfall of youth because comic books were going to destroy their brains, and they're addicted to their comic books. Well, and this is probably all that not all that much different. And I think things will change in the fall or whenever things become normal again, and we have a traditional get back to where we were. However, yeah, I think it's a way for them to interact. I don't think it's absolutely terrible, which sounds weird because I would have told you the opposite not long ago. But the opportunity cost is, is what it is. I mean, what are you giving up? What are you going to gain if you turn off the video games? When video games go off in my house, kids play with dogs. Kids go upstairs and talk to us and want us to play with them. We play family games and whatnot. Sometimes they're busy, but I don't have a tremendous alternative. I always encourage them to read, but they don't seem to be that interested in that either.
0: Right. I mean, reading is going to maybe go the way of uh, all sorts of other archaic skills and stuff like that. In fact, one thing I've wondered is do you think the next great 21st century skill is the ability for an individual to just be able to have long-term focus and grind and grit on a task. Reading takes all of those things when you think about it. Finishing a major project, right? All of those things need to happen And I just kind of wonder, like, is that really how we're going to be self-selecting our new major productive future workers are people that can keep going back to the drawing board or keep working towards a task because we have a whole generation of people that expect sort of instant gratification, right? Or if something doesn't go right, they're not that interested in trying to figure out why it didn't go right.
1: Well, I think my kids would argue that that's what they're doing in Minecraft when they create their gold machine or when they build this giant thing that they're doing. That they are creating something big and taking long term. And by the way, if we had video games like this, I imagine we'd be doing something similar. I mean, when I grew up, there was one TV. And if my dad was watching something I wasn't interested in, might as well go read a book if it's winter and it's dark because you can't go shoot hoops in the driveway. It's dark. You can't really go to your friend's house on your bike. I mean, it was just there's limited alternatives. The alternatives these kids have are limitless. And, the op- and there's so much better choices to make if there's not just one thing. So I don't know if we're really as good as we think we are or as or moral as we think we are. I'm not sure I can't find the right word here.
0: I I totally agree. And I mean, I think if we had these kind of games growing up, I'm sure we would want to be all in there. As I told you on a previous podcast, video games were a big part of my life. I'm just amazed when I go back and look at the games that I played now, how slow and how boring and how simple they are compared to the works of art that these games are nowadays and the complexity that they require. I watched, as I told you, a ton of TV growing up. In fact, whenever my wife or I get sort of nervous about, oh my God, our kids had an hour of screen time today. I'm always like, well, honey, like I watched a ton of TV when I grew up and it was really bad TV. I mean, again, I'd watch the same reruns of the same shows just over and over again, not because I wanted to, but because I couldn't think of anything else to do.
1: Absolutely. And you know what you were probably doing while you were doing that? just staring, (laughs) drinking, probably drinking pop while you're doing that. And uh, I know my kids don't drink soda, but like that was, that was what people drank all the time. You drink soda, lots of it. I remember going to a friend's house, having three, four Cokes. I'm amazed that I'm not diabetic today. And we watched tons of TV and we made it. Won't these kids make it? I think we're maybe overthinking this.
0: I I totally do. I I was probably having three to four Sprites a day. My parents always kept that well-stocked. In fact, in the morning my parents gave me orange juice because back in the eighties, it was like, oh, you need vitamin C. And like, now you look at how much sugars in orange juice, remember orange juice concentrate, like, oh yeah, oh my God, it's so good. I mean, my dad used to just put like the lemonade concentrate and like maybe a teaspoon of water and we just drank that. I mean, the horrific amount of sugar that we drank, I think we're winning on sugar in our house, but we are losing on screens. How about that?
1: Yes, because we were concerned with fat, because fat was the problem, not sugar, not to sugar. So we ate limitless amounts of sugar, fun dip in a Coke sounds like a good after school snack.
0: Yes. And I really think we need to go back to, um, I need the big expose on how big sugar changed America's minds for like 50 years and just kept us off the trail of kind of what they were doing and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. So I don't know, I think we're going to come around. I, I, I don't think it's the end of the world. But we do bring upon an interesting point, And that's the other article you sent out, which was that video games are changing in culture. And when I was younger, people would talk about what music they listened to and what band and what tape or record they got and how inter- and how that's really good. And I remember hearing that this, uh, I was in high school and a kid came in and said, I got the Use Your Illusion one and two. My parents took me out of school to go get the new Guns N' Roses album. And we were all jealous that they had it or that. And so it was music that we talked about. For these kids, it's about video games. I don't hear my kids ever talking about music. I don't even know where people find out about music. Although I expected social media and my kids just don't do that. No, you make a
0: great point. That article was from The Guardian. And the whole point was just that video games now have the largest cultural impact. And yeah, I remember as a kid when Kurt Cobain was running around with long, unwashed hair, wearing flannel, or Eddie Vedder was wearing big boots. All of a sudden, everybody in school was dressing like those guys. And you just sort of have seen how music has really influenced how culture comes out. And as you said, I don't even know what new music is really out there unless our mutual friend, Kevin Kopeck tells me to listen to something. But they were saying in that article that video games now are about a $180 billion a year industry. That's a 20% increase from the year before. They said the NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL combined only brought in $140 billion last year. That's a shift. That's where people spend money and you know you've probably experienced this too, but when I talk to like my seventh graders, what do you want to be when you grow up almost none of them say pro football player pro basketball player which 10 years ago in my career that's what they all thought they were going to go be now they all want to be a YouTuber they wanna have their own channel where they're playing games and making weird jokes and just having a following of people and charging advertising. And some of these like professional YouTubers have millions of followers and they make millions of dollars a month from just advertising because of the number of people that watch them. It's kind of crazy, but it also just shows a major cultural shift.
1: Yeah, and the other part of that article you mentioned is that more people know who Pie is, who's a, uh, YouTube video game guy then know who LeBron James is. And it really blew me away because I feel like everybody should know who LeBron is. He's been the basketball player above all other basketball players for the last, oh, I'm saying about 20 years now, but that's the cultural discussion. And that's what these kids talk about. But again, what were we talking about? Our video games weren't very good. I didn't even have a video game system for the most of my childhood. And then the tv was on it was a 19 inch tv mine had a handle on it and i was watching the pistons game with my dad well we talked about pistons because that's what my dad talked about pistons or prior to that dr j because my dad's a philly guy and that's what it was about was sports and music because you could listen to music on your own you had your own walkman and you could listen to your tape of bon jovi or your whatever and that was your group and how you identified But now it's by video game, which makes sense. Yeah.
0: Add in pro wrestling too is something I talked a lot about, whether Hulk could be the ultimate warrior. In the Guardian article, they just said, in a study by the entertainment brand Whistle, 68% of Gen Z men said gaming was an important part of their identity. 91% said they played video games regularly. And 74% said video games helped them stay connected with their friends. And that's again, this is where you and I are old. I've never seen you online. You and I might never meet online in our avatar states and stuff like that. Although, if I did have an avatar, it would carry a huge broadsword. But. <laughs> We don't interact that way. And yet clearly things have shifted. Things are really different now for a lot of people. I can't imagine though, somebody saying that video gaming is a large part of their identity, but yet I could see that. You could see where that kid at the beginning of the paragraph I read was like, please don't cut me off, dad. Like You don't know what you're doing to me. And I've spoken to other parents who've talked about their kids getting super emotional when their phones are taken away from them and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I could totally see that because that's their social interaction. They're in their group. I can hear them say like, oh, Jack's here. So then they see Jack come into the world and they can interact with Jack. It's like a kid showing up at the playground. They mean they are hanging out with them and they don't have jobs. So how else are they supposed to identify? You know, high school kids still identify by their car. There are still boys that are like, I'm a truck guy and I drive a truck and that's the most important thing in their life. But I mean, our kids don't have jobs. School has diminished, I think, in their realm of importance and what it takes out of their life. And so, and they're not on a team much anymore because of COVID. So, how are they supposed to identify? It just makes sense that that is who they are. And I hear them categorize people by the games they play. Oh, that kid, he's more of a Call of Duty kid. I don't really ever see him or like talk to him. Yeah, because he's not doing Minecraft like you guys are doing.
0: One of the things, though, is that we're still waiting for the major monumental study on screen time and what it does to the youth or to humans in general. At this point, it seems inconclusive. I've looked around and said, is screen time bad for my kids? And every, every study says in moderation, everything's probably fine. But the idea is like, well, what happens when you have the increased screen time where kids are going 40 hours a week like that young man mentioned in the article, And at this point, like they've just said that like increased screen time is kind of associated with an increase in anxiety, obesity, depression, aggression. At the same time, it doesn't necessarily say that it's anything bad. And I guess at this point, it's all out of the box, right? It's not like a lot of people are going to say, well, hold on here. Let's wait until science can tell us exactly what screen time means for the brain of the youth. And therefore- Do you think like the government or schools should be taking on some sort of a universal policy or regulating these online worlds? Or do you just say, I guess we'll just figure out the results whenever they get released?
1: Yeah. Well, science is really bad at predicting. Science is good at incremental improvements and looking back. And looking back, psychologists and economists will say, well, this trend went with this. And now we're down the road. We see the kids that were during the pandemic were in middle school We're likely to be more unemployed or more employed or whatever it is. And so it's all going to be interesting in hindsight. But in the future, it's hard to say. I guess it depends on the kid. I mean, if the kid's still engaged in school, doing well in school, showing up, participating. I mean, again, it's on a screen, so it's not that big of a leap. It's just a less interesting version of video games. But perhaps it's just individually. How do people handle it? I don't know. I guess you got to know your kid.
0: I also wonder, too, from an educational standpoint, how much can we learn from video games in terms of what they get right? I remember, boy, this would be 15 years ago, I read this book by a researcher named James Paul Gee, and it was what video games can teach us about learning and literacy. And in the book, he was like, look, we always get it wrong and that we see kids shooting stuff on a screen or it looks like they're just taking a guy and jumping around and it looks like kind of a waste of time. But when you think about it, video games are probably the best teachers we've ever created. And his whole point was like, Well, kids only buy games that meet them at their level. And if a game is too easy, it's not very fun. If a game is too hard, it's also not very fun. Video games also take a kid and put them in a totally new world that they have to learn. They have to figure out all the skills that their character has. They have to learn about how the world interacts with them. And the video game like perfectly scaffolds you're learning, it, it slowly teaches you the skills while you're playing, right? And you think about kids who die at a level or who fail at something, most likely they are ready to hop right back in And also video games provide a really safe environment for kids to experiment, to try new ideas, to see how they work. As you were saying, your kids keep coming back and forth, working on building their new worlds. And the idea that video games provide this, and you and I, we might teach supply and demand and economics. And if a kid gets it wrong, they're like, yeah, I don't really know. I I just don't get it. I don't care. I don't want to come back. I I don't have any interest in figuring out this little skill, right? And is it possible that video games have been here all along showing us a model that maybe could help us become better at teaching, better at educating?
1: I see your point. And I noticed that this week you sent me your video game that you created about Hammurabi. And I think it's a neat idea. And I think it could work. But remember, this is a $160 billion industry and how they're dominant. And the, the bar for what makes a video, good video game is so high I don't know if there's the investment either at the higher level with real businesses or the ability at the lower level with URI to make a video game that's going to be engaging enough and not just be pandering to our low abilities and the kids' ability to withstand our poor graphics and low themes. I mean, the video games, it's not like you're moving a Nintendo from screen to screen and it's just you're following one screen. You can go wherever you want. You can do whatever you can. You can you can build things that haven't been built before. It's a whole different world. It'd be tough for us to create a video game like that. That said, I'm sure the creators of your boys Roblox could come up with it. By the way, Roblox going public soon. I think that'd be a stock to buy.
0: Yes. No, I'm very interested in that. In fact, I told my kids about it. They were both very interested about them as a company because they're always constantly being like, Dad, like, you know, I could have this pink dress if you would only give me like a dollar. And I was like, Well, just wear whatever you're wearing currently. You're <laughs> it's a fake thing. It's just a bunch of lights. I mean, if you think about it from a business standpoint, you know, the Fortnite, which is free to play, it's a very interesting business model of here, come in the world for free and play. But then the number of dollars people spend on literally. A digital sword right like or a digital gun or a new pair of pants and you're literally just buying a couple of pixels on a screen that's all you're buying and yet there's major money that's thrown around for that it's interesting because i've seen people talk about like minecraft or these places of oh, they could be these educational realms and i've walked around you know mr stevenson's classroom on minecraft or whatever and what's crazy is okay, meet the kids where they're at. They're on Minecraft. They can now come to your virtual classroom. But then the virtual classroom is like out of the 1950s. It's just a guy with like a video plane or like a bunch of like bullet pointed PowerPoint slides for kids to look at. And I feel like we're missing the point on that. And I guess you're right. It's really expensive. That Guardian article talked about how like, you know, it might be 200, 300 million dollars to make one of these mega new games that comes out. But I am surprised that Microsoft or a major corporation hasn't tried to say, you know, maybe we could crack this thing and sell subscriptions to a totally new way to learn. And again, the new way to learn, I still think is by giving kids content, almost like how your kids are doing it on YouTube, right? Learn to do something and then give them interesting, authentic challenges to go and solve. And I feel like that's always the disconnect that we have in education.
1: Yeah, I think the gap is finding the interesting connection. I mean, I don't think our state benchmarks are built to say, all right, create your own marketplace where you will buy and sell things. I think that would work, although Apple might get upset because they're the only place that where you can buy and sell the attributes that you want to buy for roadblocks or forkknife or Minecraft and take a cut is going to work. But I think that that could be out there. It'd just be a real challenge. And you'd have to nail down to one little specific concept and spend weeks on that. I don't know about you, but I have 10 weeks to do all of basic economics. I don't have the time to do that, although it would be really neat.
0: Well, hey, maybe if Apple and Microsoft and all these places started pushing all of the education online, right? Inside a video game, maybe kids would be like, video games are terrible. I don't want to play anymore. Maybe they would... (laughs) Do they push away? There's too much.
1: <laughs> They've ruined it. They've ruined it for me. Oh, it's like the teacher that does the uh, rap about something, the presidents or stuff like that. I'm like, oh, you've ruined music for me. Yes, I, I, I think that that could be the case.
0: Maybe that's the national policy uh, we need to go with. Well, final question I want to ask you then, because you were the person that I always think was the most staunch sort of person against screens. And again, very limited time, as you said. And then I talked to you a couple of weeks ago and you said that you got one of these VR headsets for your sons. And I was amazed at how enthusiastic you were about the virtual world that you were uh, living in and interacting in. What's with that? And do you think VR is actually the the, the future solution to education and stuff like that?
1: I think VR field trips could be a thing, especially during a pandemic, especially if you could see something really, really cool. The VR video that I went through was, Pretty amazing. It was skiing in the Swiss Alps, and I was pretty blown away. I think you could do a coal mine field trip that would make you really feel what it was like to be there. And so that would be very, very neat. Uh, I personally love the Oculus because my boys do the boxing game, not because I love boxing, but because they come out of it and they're sweating and they're soaked in sweat and they're red in the face, and the next day they're sore. So it makes me feel like they're getting a workout. So yes, the VR Oculus, I'm, I'm a fan of. I think Minecraft still trumps that in terms of if the kids are given their druthers, that's what they would choose. But I am impressed with that. And like you said, there is things out there for it. I just don't know if there's parties that are willing to spend the money to create the content. Because in the education world where you and I reside, if we were given the choice of compensation for ourselves, or spending to create a VR world version of your class, I'm going to say, give me the compensation. And my union's going to argue for us to have the compensation. And we're not going to put the money that way. <laughs> Plus, we could be easily replaced by whatever. So I just don't know if the money's heading there to create that.
0: One of the most fun books I read a couple years ago was called Ready Player One And it sort of imagines this dystopian America 50 years in the future where, you know, global warming's continued on and and just going outside is just not that much fun. And therefore everybody just has a VR suit and a VR headset. And pretty much every day people wake up and they just go to this virtual world and that's where they interact. They go to school there, they play there. And the idea is just that life is now just sort of lived online. And as you were saying sort of the experience of, of working out boxing felt really real or the virtual field trip and the one thing I just always kind of wonder about is yes we can take people anywhere but yet are we possibly just sort of lying to them because you didn't go anywhere and I, I'm sure there's got to be a VR thing where you could go visit the the pyramids of Giza and I've been there and the one thing though That I just always still feel like you never quite get a sense of until you're there is just how big each individual blocks of the pyramids are, the polluted charred air that you're smelling when you're at the pyramids. And then also the fact that if you just turn around 180 degrees, if you were staring at the pyramids, you're going to see a pizza hut and a KFC. And I just think that like, that's the world we live in. And isn't it important that people still go out and they touch, see experience and that maybe they want to go and have those experiences. But if we make everything so easy with VR, maybe people just kind of lose their desire. And I mean, you could say, well, hey, that's less carbon we're gonna burn in their plane ticket or something. But I don't know, I I just, uh, it makes me wonder.
1: In many ways, what you're saying would be a much more efficient use of resources we go more places and see more things and create less carbon. And yes, that would probably be for the best. And you could do it conveniently in a more compressed time period. But that's not what's happening, I don't think. The everything I'm reading is that the tourism sites are just being overwhelmed with tourists. And that Barcelona, the big park in the middle of the city, you have to buy a ticket to go in there because there's so many people want to be there. And the neighborhoods around Barcelona are destroyed because there's nobody actually living there. It's just all Airbnbs because it's cheaper than a hotel. And that's where people want to stay and that they've destroyed the actual city itself by selling out entirely to tourism. It's no longer this thriving, interesting place. And that's not just true of Barcelona, but so many other places. And the national parks are maxed out every year. People are going more and more and traveling more and more. I kind of selfishly wish people would do it on VR so we could have these real tourist sites back. But that's not seemingly the way it's going, at least not yet.
0: Although ironically, you go to these places and what's everybody doing, but trying to take a billion different selfies (laughs) and clogging up the lanes, right? Or getting their selfie stick and poking you in the head. Or I remember we were at a resort a couple of years ago in Orlando and we were just kind of swimming with our kids in a lazy river. And the number of people on a tube with their iPad or phone, and they're either talking with them or texting or, or watching something and seeming not to fear that they were going to drop it in the water. And therefore, I guess maybe the future is we all go to Barcelona just to put our VR gear on.
1: I could see that. Uh, there's a, uh, the Grand Bend in the Grand Canyon. I think like something like 15 people in the last couple of years have fallen off trying to take selfies over this giant elbow bend in the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon, and they fall. Fairly often, despite the fact that there's railings and everything, because they are wanting to get their selfie so bad. And this is a new way people pass away, which is tragic and yet not all that surprising. I, I don't know. I try, usually there's no cell phone reception places where I go. I take my phone to take pictures, but it's basically a camera. But I'm mostly not taking myself. It's of the sights and my family with it. I don't know, I guess I could say that's traditional photography. Is it okay if I'm not posting it on social media if I just want to remember it?
0: I'm okay with it. I've always been a believer that I won't show you any of my pictures of my family if you don't show me any of yours. <laughs> um, well, Don, as they always say, it's a brave <laughs> new world. I don't I'm-
1: think your channel's going to have much hits if that's your motto. <laughs> I won't show you any pictures of me if you don't show any pictures of you. <laughs> It's
0: uh, it would be a different way to do that Instagram thing, but I don't, I don't do I'm not sure how it works.
1: You can create your own app, the anti Instagram, it just is pictures of your own family and you can't see anybody else. I kind of like that. It's called a photo album. <laughs> <laughs> now you're sounding real old man. Now, now we're sounding very grumpy. Get off my lawn,
0: totally. And you know what? That's the thing about this when I think all about it is. I'm old. I recently turned 40. It's a brave new world. I am old enough to at least understand it's changing. And I'm just going to be the guy shouting at the rain. (laughs) And at the same time, I'm a hypocrite because like, I don't mind playing the Mario game every once in a while. I use a phone at the same time. Like I don't quite get it all. And I don't know if I ever will. And therefore I'm not sure how to feel at the end of this.
1: There was a time when you were very much into video games and the rock band and you had the couple systems and were not yet engaged and married and you were just a big child. And so you have grown a little bit more against it. I don't think you're as against video games as you think you are. I just was never good at it and enjoyed it much.
0: I would agree. I mean, and that's it. It's like I, I find some video games very interesting. Don't get me wrong. I I don't think they're bad, I, but I do think there is a legitimate question here being asked about what's happened over this last year in terms of the amount of screen time. I think you and I both agree, like everything in moderation is okay, but what happened when the floodgates opened like they have?
1: I would be interested to see that. I have a feeling that there is a a lot more sweatpants being worn, a lot less physical activity, and I'm going to be intrigued how it works when we really go back to school seven days a week, starting at 7.30 in the morning or whenever it is we start. It's going to be a rude awakening for some people.
0: Well, no, and you bring a good point about we have gone back to school a little bit and we are seeing the kids now kind of for the first time in almost a year. And I'm amazed at, sort of the behavior of some of the kids and that our biggest issue now is kids they want to have their computers open and they have six different screens up and some of them are trying to play games they're trying to chat with their friends on on teams and then they're trying to quasi like sometimes make eye contact with us to make it seem like they're pretending to listen to the lesson and i've almost noticed already you can see a behavior that's not great. And at the same time, because that we're every other day with kids, they need their computers because we're kind of putting everything online so that everybody can keep accessing the curriculum. But I've just noticed already the behaviors are are very out of whack.
1: I'm fighting with this myself. Um, I'd love to have them have the computers open just because they can access the PowerPoint. They can write notes they can will, will stay. They have access to all the practice problems and so forth and that I like computer open, but on the other side, I really, really liked it when they had no other alternative and I could make them put away their phone and they really had to engage with me. And I'm waiting to see how this plays out here as our next term of a new group of students starts. I'm not sure. It's also harder to read them when they have their masks on. You can't really see if they're as well, if they're engaged with what you're doing.
0: That's a good point. The Being able to kind of hide behind your mask, even if you're not trying to, is something that definitely is also different about being back. The joke I keep making the kids is don't worry if you get a paper cut, I've got band-aids. <laughs> well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week. Uh, we'll have to see how this all plays out and uh, maybe we'll meet up on a virtual world someday.
1: Yeah. I, I will sign on to your uh, Instagram feed there. Zach Old Man at Instagram.
0: I appreciate that. We'll talk to you next week, Don.
1: All right. Bye-bye.